Well, good morning, family. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 as we wrap up, finish up our study in Ephesians this morning. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in London in the 1800s, considered by awful lot of folks to be one of the greatest preachers of all time. The 5,000-seat Metropolitan Tabernacle where he was pastor was typically packed with more than a 1,000 additional people standing in the building because there were not enough seats. One Sunday, there were five college students who were spending a Sunday in London, so they decided to go hear the famous Spurgeon preach. While they were waiting outside the church for the doors to open, a man came outside and approached them and asked them if they'd like to take a tour of the church. And they said, well, of course they did. And so after some time of walk, going around through the facility and seeing various things, the man asked them, would you like to see the heating plant of the church? The students really weren't particularly interested because it was a hot day, a hot summer day, but they didn't want to offend the stranger and so they consented and they followed him down a stairway and kind of through a, a hall and they came to a door. And as the man quietly opened the door, he whispered, this is the heating plant of the church. As they looked inside, they saw 700 people bowed in prayer, asking God's work and blessing on the service that would soon start in the auditorium above. Softly, then the gentleman, as he closed the door, he introduced himself. It was Charles Spurgeon himself. His ministry had a global impact in the 19th century. He led thousands, if not tens of thousands of people to faith in Christ. Someone once asked him what, was, what the reason was for his success in ministry. And Charles Spurgeon replied simply, people pray for me. As we ended our study last week in Ephesians 6, we were at verse 18 where the Apostle Paul was calling for you and me to be alert and to be faithful in prayer, to pray persistently for one another for, he said there in verse 18, for all the saints. He recognized that prayer is a vital part of our spiritual armor, a vital part to our ability, as we saw last week, to stand against the schemes of the devil. But Paul also knew that prayer is not just essential to standing against the devil. Prayer is essential to ministry, to our ability to minister. As we come here to the closing verses of this letter by Paul, he gets very personal. He continues, as we're going to see today in our study, that he's going to continue on this theme of prayer, but he turns the attention to and the focus to himself. See, the letter shifts from being an instruction in theology, in theological truths. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. The wonders of our salvation, of our new identity in Christ, of what God has called us to in Christ. A glorious inheritance, a glorious future, and to a purpose. And then we go to chapters 4, 5, and 6, and 
he moves from instruction in theology to instruction in Christian living. How our new identity, our new destiny, our new purpose in Christ all should translate into a new way of living. We are no longer to live as the Gentiles walk. We are to walk worthy, to live worthy of the calling that we have received. And all through the book, the theme has been that we are called together in Christ. But he shifts from this instructions in theology and instructions in Christian living in these last verses and this letter becomes now a missionary prayer letter. If you don't, or if you're not, I should say, in the habit of reading missionaries' prayer letters, you ought to be. You need to go downstairs and walk the hallway and see all of our our little uh, folders there for our missionaries, and in those you will find their latest prayer letters. Uh, I encourage you to grab one of those every every month to check and make sure you have the latest one. You stay up on our missionaries and their needs and pray for them. And Paul, as he writes to this Ephesian church, the church which in many ways could be called his home church. He, he had probably several. But the, the Ephesian church was a church that he helped it to get started. I don't think he actually founded it, but he helped it to grow. He lived there and worked among these folks for some two to three years. And it was his home base as he as, as he reached out to Asia. The gospel, it says, while he was there, if you look in Acts 19, the gospel spread through the whole region of what we would now call Asia Minor as Paul ministered here in Ephesus. And so he has a close connection with these folks and and he says to this church in his missionary prayer letter, he says, pray for me. Let me just read the passage this morning. I'm going to pick it up where we ended last week with verse 18. He's talking about prayer and it, as it relates to our standing as part of our spiritual armor against the devil's schemes. And, but he switches in verse 19. Follow along as I read. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And I think rather than write any more about himself, he sends a living letter. That's the next verses. So that you may know how I am, how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. Let's pray as we seek to understand and apply the Word. Father, thank You for this letter from Paul written to the Ephesians. It has still great application to us. And I pray this morning that You would instruct us and even more that You would change us. Father, may Your Word impact our lives for our good and for Your glory. Guide our hearts. Guide our thoughts. And guide our actions as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Paul knew that prayer was essential for success in ministry for him and for us. And in these few verses, as Paul gives his prayer request to the Ephesian church, we're going to gain a little bit of understanding into how we can best pray for our missionaries, those missionaries that we support here from the church, our missionary partners. How we can also best pray for our pastors and our leaders here in the church and also how we can best pray for one another, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll also in this get a little glimpse into Paul's heart, what makes him tick. You'll probably remember that Paul is writing this book from imprisonment in Rome. He said it in this passage where he said he's an ambassador in chains. He's, he's in, in Rome. He's imprisoned. He's chained. And if we think about that even for a few moments, and we think what we would write if we were writing a letter and going to include some prayer requests, we would think it very natural and very understandable that Paul might write something like, please pray that I get out of here soon. Especially Paul, the man with the missionary heart, would pray, would pray, please pray that I get out of here soon so I can get back to the work of God and, and being a missionary. You might think he also would be certainly understandable that he might pray for healing from wounds or beatings, that he might pray for better food, the ability to sleep, Better, more comfortable bed, warmer clothes, or maybe air conditioning if it's hot. Or he could pray for family, friends. We'd understand all of those things. But as we read the short little prayer list that he gave, he included none of that. Really just two prayer requests. Two things that Paul wanted this church to pray for him. and Things that we need to be praying for one another and for everyone who serves Christ. Two requests. The first is, he asks for words. Verse 19, he says, that Pray that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. And as I read that, and as we think about that, and if you know much about the Apostle Paul, you'd think, you know, that's really a strange request. Because when I think of the Apostle Paul, I think of a man of words. He is a prolific writer. A man of words in writing. Almost a third of our New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. No shortage of words there. He was also a prolific speaker, a prolific preacher. When you go through the book of Acts, when you go through and read even what Paul writes, what we find is that he is always speaking. And he has not just spoken a lot. He's spoken in lots of different settings. He preached everywhere he went. He preached to commoners and he preached to kings. He preached to, in, in, to small crowds, gatherings in homes, and he preached to large crowds. He addressed people who were ardent followers of Jesus Christ. And also he faced large crowds that were hostile and antagonistic to Jesus Christ. He reasoned with the Jewish scholars and he debated with Greek philosophers in the Areopagus. And yet he says here, 
He needs help with words. Pray that words may be given me. I wonder why does a man like the Apostle Paul need words? Three things I think are tied into this. One is he needs words for the sake of clarity of the message. Verse 19, he says that I may proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That word proclaim means, literally it means to make understandable or to make known. Paul, you see, the great theologian, the great speaker, the great scholar wants to be sure that when he speaks the wonders of the gospel, that he uses words that everyone understands. One of the main reasons that I I hear often from people who give reasons or maybe excuses for not sharing their faith in Christ is this. They'll say something like, well... I don't know what to say. Maybe you've said that before. Maybe you've even followed it by something. You know, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm not the Apostle Paul. Well, isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul says, pray for me and I'll have words. See, you're not alone struggling for the right words. Paul recognizes that he and you and me, we all need God's help for the right words, so that the message will be clear. Paul didn't want anybody missing out on understanding the good news of the gospel. Clarity for the message. But also, these words you see need to be words that have power. The message needs to have power. And he recognized that as he wrote to the Romans, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, as he writes to Romans, he recognizes the power of the gospel isn't in the power of the messenger. The power of the gospel is not, is not tied up in you or me. The power of the gospel is tied up in the, the, in the Holy Spirit of God working through the message of God, through the Word of God to impact the hearts of people, of men and women. So, Paul understands that you and I are never in a weaker position than when we become adequate in ourselves. We are never weaker than when we start leaning on our own knowledge and we start trusting in our own experience, trusting in our own education, trusting in our own eloquence, in our own talents, in our own abilities, in our own charm and winsome personality. When we become trusting into our own, on our own skills and we end up neglecting trusting in Christ because, you know, I got this. In effect, when we do that, we become practical atheists. Those who believe in Christ but forget that we desperately need Him. And that we are powerless without Him. And so in our practice, we become like an atheist. We pretend that He's not there. Truthfully, the only way that we can stand strong is standing in His strength. That's what Paul wrote just a few verses before. Remember, we read it last week, back up in verse 10. He said, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength 
of his might. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you recall in, um, in John 15, that last night before the crucifixion, as he's meeting with his disciples, and he, he says, remember, he says, without me, you can still do a lot. Is that what he said? Did he say, you know, without me, you can do a few things? No, he said, what? Without me, you can do... Good, some of you know that. But see, if we know that, and we don't come and realizing that we are absolutely dependent on prayer, if we can't with Spurgeon say, here's the source of the power. It's people on their knees. If we don't act that way, we don't believe it. If we don't really pray, if we neglect prayer, we are acting like an atheist. I got this. Paul says he needs clarity for the message. He needs power for the message. Lastly, in this, Paul needed as well opportunity for the message. He needed help to having the right timing so that not only were the opportunities there, but that he could he would take advantage of them. That little phrase where he says, in opening my mouth, it, in the ESV it doesn't, I don't think it's translated as well as the, the NIV, where it says that whenever I open my mouth. In other words, that when the right opportunity is there, I open my mouth. And when I open my mouth, I don't miss the opportunity. Praying that there are opportunities and that we take advantage of them. Paul wrote just a chapter back, chapter 5, he wrote these words. He said, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Paul wanted to make the most of the opportunities. He doesn't want to miss Opportunities because he's not, he's not thinking and so instead of talking about Christ, he's simply content to talk about the weather. Can you believe it snowed today on the first day of spring? No, me either. And he spends the next half hour talking about that. Well, gotta go. See you later. Or he spends his time talking about March Madness at the Coliseum. And everything that's happening with the latest gladiators and the latest things going on and or that he spends all his time talking about the, the Roman Senate primaries that are going on. and It's not that we can't ever talk about those things, but he says, pray for me. I don't want to miss the opportunities when they come talking about trivial things. Or even getting sidetracked with good things. It is so possible for you and me to get sidetracked with things that are that are very good. Things that are perhaps meeting needs of people. Feeding the hungry. Getting water to those who don't have clean water. Educating the uneducated. Providing health care for the sick. Or maybe we get busy and wrapped up in fighting evils like abortion or human trafficking or injustice. Or maybe we get caught up in trying to stop the moral decay in society. But those are not necessarily bad. Matter of fact, those, most of those are good things to be doing. 
But we must not ever allow those things to overshadow the primacy of the good news of the gospel. For if, if the, on, the only really good news we and I, you and I have to give people is the gospel, if we give them food without the gospel, they perish forever. If we give them education without the gospel, they perish forever. If we release them, get them freed from slavery, physical slavery, but they remain in spiritual slavery, they perish forever. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is the only message of hope for a liar, for a cheater, for an adulterer, for a drug addict, for a homosexual, for an alcoholic, for a thief, for a murderer, for gossips. It's the only message of hope for your neighbors, Fred and Wilma, if you live in Bedrock or wherever you live. God loves you and He offers grace and forgiveness from sin. He offers new life and eternal life, all provided as a gift to anyone who will put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the Gospel. Paul says, pray that I have words so that I can proclaim that clearly, so that I can proclaim it with power, and so I can proclaim it with every opportunity. Pray God gives me word. But he has a second request, and it's this. It's boldness. Find it in verse 20, where Paul says, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Again, the more I think about this, I think this is another really strange thing for Paul to ask prayer for. Look at this little passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's what Jesus got before the cross. They did one less than 40 because they thought 40 would kill you. 39 just leaves you mostly dead. He got that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. We call that today caning. Outlawed most places because it'll kill you. Once I was stoned and not like a 60s hippie. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food, and I have been cold and naked. The only thing I can identify with out of the whole list is going without sleep. And I think, man, this guy could hang out with special ops forces. And they'd look up to him. They could sit there swapping, you know, comparing scars and swapping stories. And they'd go, man, Paul, you are one tough guy. And I think if this guy needs boldness. What do you need? (laughs) What do I need? Paul doesn't have a problem with boldness from where I sit. But Paul says, when you pray for me, pray that I have boldness. I tell you, we really need this. 
Who of us hasn't wimped out on sharing the gospel and talking about Christ with someone? And the things that, that you know, make us shut up are things like, you know, I'm, I'm worried about somebody's going to reject me. You know, if I talk to some, this guy about Jesus, he's going to think I'm weird. He's going to, you know, they'll stop being my friend. They'll, you know, whatever. Yeah, they might. While millions of our brothers physically suffer every single day for their faith. We need to. We, we, we worry about being offensive. You know, if I talk to them, they might, uh, you know, they might get offended that I'm talking about religion with them. Or I talk about how Jesus is the only way and they might not like that. Yeah, the reality is if you share the gospel, sooner or later, somebody's going to be offended. You're going to be offended. Because truth is offensive. I'm not saying we do it offensively. Matter of fact, earlier in the book, chapter 4, Paul wrote, he said, speaking the truth in love, we should always speak as lovingly as we can, as tactfully and winsomely as we can. But we must speak the truth. The reality is it is unloving not to. Speak the truth. We worry times about that we are not we're worthy. I'm not worthy to share the gospel. Have you seen what a what a loser I am? You know, I, I failed so many times in this and this and this. Who am I to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, bottom line, here's the answer. Were you saved because you're a wonderful person? Were you saved because you're so good? No, the Bible is clear. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, just a few chapters back. It is by grace you have been saved. It is God's grace to you, an undeserving, unworthy person. And so what, what right do you have to share the gospel with somebody? Hey, I can't believe this. God saved me through Jesus Christ. Can I tell you about Jesus? Yeah, you're unworthy. That's the whole point. We all are. Maybe you are afraid to share because you feel incompetent. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, he said, God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He uses the weak to confound the mighty, the strong. In other words, God specializes in using the weak and the simple and the ordinary and the less than ordinary. Go back and read through the, the storyline of the Scripture and you'll see God is always choosing the least likely to do His greatest work. So you and I have a lot of things in common with Paul. Just like we, like him, we need words. Like Paul, we also need boldness. So as Paul asked for prayer to speak, for boldness to speak, that they would pray that he gets past the fear, that he'll step out past the fear and speak for Christ, He's saying what we need, we need prayer for that. Our missionaries need prayer for that. Your pastor needs prayer for that. You need prayer for that. Why does Paul ask these two things and not those other things that we would often let crowd our prayer request list? Because Paul's requests here are driven by one thing. We find it right there in the middle of our verses 19 and 20 this morning. At the end of 19 he says, 
He tells us what, what really just moves him, what drives him. There's only one thing that matters to him anymore. Here it is, verse 19, second half. He says, to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. See, the one thing that matters to Paul any, anymore, the one driving purpose in his life is being an ambassador for Christ. That's what got him in prison. But while he's in prison, it's still the only thing that really moves him. It's what drives him. Paul was driven to get the Gospel to, as we saw in the slides earlier, in that, to world A, people who haven't heard about Jesus. Paul talks more about this concept of being an ambassador over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Maybe you want to turn over there, just flip back a, a few pages to 2 Corinthians 5. We'll come back to Ephesians here in just a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about this whole ambassador thing. He says in verse 14, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded that we have concluded this that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, one thing that compels Paul to be an ambassador for Christ, that pushes him to be an ambassador for Christ, is the love of Christ. That compels him to live for Him. If He died for me, I will live for Him. Nothing else makes sense. That's why when he wrote to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he said uh, that I urge you to give your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable, I like that translation, reasonable Service of worship. It's the only thing that makes sense. If Jesus loved me that much, and He died to pay for my sin, to give me new life and eternal life, I've got to live for Him. Second thing here in this passage that, that moves Him to be an ambassador, verse 18, He says, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. And gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. See, in, in the word reconciling means to make things right. And in Christ, God is making the relationship with Him right. He's doing that by paying our debt. Reconciling is a, an accounting term. It means paid in full. And, and um, it, it, he's, he's saying that we've been reconciled. The relationship has been restored through Christ. And now, go on, he says, God has given this ministry to us, not counting the trespasses of men against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Paul says, folks, the reason i got to do this is it's a duty. God has said, it's my job. Going back to Ephesians 6, Paul said, I declare this, uh, that I may declare it boldly as I ought. It's what I ought to do. It's what's expected of me. It is 
my job. It is our mission. Going back again to we um, at the, the little slideshow that we saw earlier, the, the film clip, Jesus gave us a mission, Matthew 28, 19. All power in heaven and earth is given to me. Go now. Make disciples of all nations. It's our mission, our commission, our job. Thirdly, the reason that Paul must do this, why it's his driving thing, why nothing else matters, verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He says, we're ambassadors. You know, if, if when we finish here today, you're on your way to lunch, you're in the car and you're driving and the phone rings, on the other end of the line is some celebrity you think is pretty cool. Some sports figure, you go, yeah, they're awesome. Some political figure you admire, whatever. Somebody, they call you up on your way to lunch and they say, Hey, I've heard about you. I, w- I want you to come and work for me. I want you to be my spokesperson. I want you to go represent me at events. Go ahead of me to places, set things up. Make, I, I want you to, to speak for me, be my mouthpiece. My representative, would you do that? Whether you took the job or not, you'd be honored. Some famous, well-known person just called me up and offered me a job to represent them. Somebody I look up to, we'd be like, whoa. If this afternoon, the President of the United States called you up on the phone, I don't even care what you think of him, but if he said this, he said, I want you to represent the United States of America as an ambassador. You would be going, wait, no way. George, is that you? (laughs) No, it's, it's the President of the United States. And he says, I want you to be an ambassador. You would be honored beyond belief. Am I right? What an honor to represent this nation. Only a few people get to do that. Paul is saying, folks, this is, that, that's so little. And God is offering us something bigger. He's offering you and me the job of ambassador. Matter of fact, it's your job now. He says, we are ambassadors, Paul wrote the Corinthians there. The God of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has given you a special passport and a visa for your stay on planet earth. And he says, now you're my, you know, here's your diplomatic passport. You're no longer a citizen here of earth. You're an ambassador of heaven. Paul's saying, there's an honor to that. I get to serve the risen King of Kings. Nothing else matters. 
That's why you see Paul. And you see the other apostles. After the resurrection, Jesus commissions them and leaves them here as His representatives. They never looked back. And the baton has been passed and it's been passed to you and to me. There's 29% of the world's population that has no opportunity to hear the Gospel right now. There's a significant portion of the rest of the, of the population of the world that even though they have access to the Gospel, they've never really seriously considered the claims of Christ because it's never really been seriously presented to them. And the question is, are we going to be ambassadors? That's what drove Paul And I notice that he says here, he's an ambassador in chains. Paul doesn't say, I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ, but I've been taken out of commission, so I will be an ambassador for Christ as soon as I get out of chains. He says, I'm an ambassador while I'm in chains. Significantly, you go to the book of Philippians. We looked at this a few year year or two ago when we did the study. And he says at the end of that book, he says, the whole household of Caesar greets you. He writes to Philippians. Because the whole house of Caesar has become believers. (laughs) Because they've been running into Paul as they go deliver laundry and food to the prison. Paul pulls them in and he's been sharing Christ and he's been winning over the guards who are chained to him. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus, you know. (laughs) See, brother and sister, my point is this. We're to look at life differently and never the same. You are not a mechanic or an engineer or a student or a teacher or a carpenter or a salesperson or a homemaker who happens to be a Christian. Point is, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ who happens to be a mechanic or an engineer or a student or a teacher or a carpenter or a salesman or a homemaker. God expects that whatever your realm of life is, whatever your whatever place you're you're working, whatever place you are living, that in that place and in that function you are going to live out your true calling and your true identity of of an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, Would you pray for me that I'll be an ambassador in chains? That I'll have the words I need. I'll have the boldness I need. Paul is saying, will you pray for your missionaries like that? And this week as we come to the Easter week, I'm going to challenge you, if you would, begin this week. Begin this week to be just a little more earnest, persevering in your prayer. To give a little more time, maybe just ten minutes a day. Begin praying this week specifically for missionaries, for your pastor, for leaders, for the person in the pew next to you, the one across the aisle from you, the one across the church, maybe even the one in the different service. But you pick some folks, some of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you start praying for them. And say, Father, put opportunities in their path. Put opportunities in my path this week. 
And don't let me miss those opportunities. And when they come, give, give us the words. Give them the words of clarity and the words of power. So the Gospel is understood and it penetrates. And Lord, give us boldness. Give me boldness. Give them boldness so we don't wimp out. See, I'm convinced that part of the reason that we are so powerless as a church in modern America is because we don't pray enough. We don't pray, pray passionately and we don't pray persistently. And we do this together, praying for one another because we serve together. Let's pray. Father, we needed to hear this. Yeah, there's 29% of the world's population that's out there that is in a place where they can't hear the Gospel. And Lord, we need to be doing something about that. We pray that You would raise up harvesters to go out into into the field. Reapers to go and sow the Gospel and to reap a harvest. Father, the reality is there are people across the street from us and next door and at our job and in our school. People in our families who don't know Jesus. Father, most of us aren't sharing because we're not, we don't have the boldness we need. Lord, give us that boldness. Most of, aren't share, of us aren't sharing and sometimes because we don't, we don't think we have the words, we feel inadequate. We, Lord, I pray You'd give us words and give us power and give us opportunity. Father, I pray that next week when we come to church, that every one of us would have had an opportunity and would have had the boldness and the words to talk about Christ. That when next week comes, as we celebrate the, the rising of Christ from the dead, that we will be celebrating with some folks in our midst who have come to faith in Christ because we were ambassadors of Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.